2: Welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. With me, Greg O'Keefe, and my colleague Paddy Boyland, and um, we did say that we were hoping to reunite this week to discuss a historic. And I say historic because it would have been in terms of uh, our rotten record down at Stamford Bridge, a win. In the end, it was anything but. It was a little bit of a, um, a down to earth recalibration of a results where Everton went there and lost. A small setback, but plenty of mitigation, I think, to discuss in that. There'll also be chats about some of the pieces Paddy and I have written on the site this week. The Colombian Toffees, Everton's efforts to overtake Bogota, and indeed huge sway to South America. And we will discuss the game against Burnley on Saturday, tea time. But before that, let's start at the top, or should we say down in West London. And Paddy, it was a difficult game. It was made more difficult by the absence of Abdullah Dekorey who we'll know more. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. We'll know more soon, we hope. But it's not looking good for him in the short term. We know he's not going to play until after the, the next international break. So he's probably going to be out at least a month. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's going to be, well, it's clearly going to be a big loss. I looked at that in my piece after the game. Um, you and I discussed it as well when we were chatting about it. It's just perhaps while not being technically exceptional, at some things, he is one of our most influential players, isn't
1: he? Yeah, he is. And he's obviously done very, very well in the absence of, of Alan. The golden thing here for Everton is that just when Alan gets back and you expect the two players to dovetail again really nicely, as they did at the start of the season, injury deprives Everton of, of Ducouré. And just something that was picked up, I think, from repetition more than anything. I you know there's not much out there about the injury. Everton have been pretty tight-lipped, as usual, about specific specifics relating to the injury. But it was sustained towards the end of the West Br- Brom game, I believe. And just, I, th- I think, a, an example of what happens when you ask players to just go again and again, time after time, Monday to Thursday, back to Monday. This kind of regular procession of games is always likely to take its toll, and then that results in a in a foot injury for for Ducore. So it is a blow. It was definitely a blow on Monday night because that, that was the exact kind of game you would want Abdullah Ducore to play in. Mm. It would have been great if Everton had had that kind of first-choice partnership there. I think it was also exacerbated a little bit by the fact that Tom Davis was only just back. And probably, if we're being honest, shouldn't have, shouldn't really have been thrown in to that kind of game from the start and wasn't. So um, it it felt like Everton were missing at least two of of their main midfielders, probably three in truth, and then James Rodriguez further forward. I I said even before the game that I thought it would be a step too far. Uh, Looking at the players Everton were missing, looking at the lack of experience and the lack of quality on the bench, it was a very young Everton bench, and then comparing it with what we saw from Chelsea, which was, I think it was N'Golo Kante, Mason Mount, and Christian Pulisic came off the bench. I was <laughs> looking at go. Everton have got lads there. I think it was five lads, if memory serves, that haven't represented the club in a Premier League game, haven't played in any Premier League match, and that was just the problem for me. It was just a, a case of a of it being a step too far. So, hopefully, Ducore is back soon enough. Well, obviously, like you've said, we'll hear more about that injury on on Friday in Carlo Ancelotti's press conference. It was a blow and. You just wonder when the next time Everton will be able to line up their first choice, their full strength. It's it's the team that was blowing sides away earlier in the season, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when, when was the last time we we saw that? it it was probably the Merseyside Derby, the first Merseyside Derby in what was that? October. That was the last time Everton had Dean, Ducore, Alan James, um, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin all on the same side. Since then, there's obviously been a lot of injuries, a lot, a lot of injuries. Everton have had kind of the most injuries, up there with the most injuries in the league, I would I would suggest, and the stats bear that out. Um, so it feels like they've done well up to now to keep things on an even keel, given all those injuries. But this is just another blow. And I think this is a tough one to overcome because I don't know about you, it just feels like he's got quite unique skills Skills in this squad, and that's why they brought him in in the first place. Absolutely, no, it, it really does. And I think
2: he's one of those players who's obviously his qualities shine through more in his absence. Because I, I thought Tom Davis did really well when he came on, and I think him being fit will, ha- like it, like when Alan was out, will massively help to compensate. But I think uh, Ducouris' absence just becomes uh, more keenly felt oh, sorry, his qualities become more keenly felt in his absence. But, Fortunately, we have got Davis coming back into form and fitness. Uh, well, he's back in form and coming back to fitness. I do hope, obviously, we'll talk about this later on, but I do hope that one injury problem can sort of be uh be lessened when we get welcome Rodriguez back, because that's becoming a concern. But we um we, we will go on anyway. Uh you did mention quite a few young lads on the bench in stark comparison to Chelsea's bench. I mean, I know that some of their young players but they're also like <laughs> proven international class talents like Pulisic, like you say. Um, however, you you looked into this a bit deeper recently on, on the site in a piece that you did about the 23s, didn't you? And, you know, there's been a, a notion lately that Everton's academy isn't what it once was, but under Marcel Brands, again, we're waiting to hear, but we expect to sign a new contract soon as a, uh, director of football to continue in his role under his him and Greta Steinson's careful n- nurturing we actually think they're back on track don't we
1: yeah he's, he's obviously been very hands on since he arrived at the club and I think there's this notion with brands that he's there as this kind of transfer guru the guy that unearths all these obscure talents yeah. in far flung corners of the globe and gets them to Everton for a relative pittance, and then they turn into 50, 60 million pounds worth of of Champions League quality players. That is at least some of his role, but let's not forget that Everton have a head of recruitment um, in that department, and it's Greta Steinson, effectively his number two, and Brands does an awful lot more than just the the, the kind of first team recruitment. He handles other, other matters with the academy, He's performed an overhaul there. Anybody that's read the piece will, will know what I'm talking about here. But even going back to last season, we were talking about Everton hiring a new head of academy recruitment, a guy called Chris Perkins, who they, they poached from Derby. Very, very highly rated while he was at Derby and did lots of good work. So Everton got him. Over the summer, start of the season, David Unsworth moved up to a role as head of academy. Then you had John April shift into the vacant position of head of academy coaching. I just think it's taken a while for some of these changes to to bear fruit. But what we see now, because of, I would say, because of injuries at the top of the club, because of loans for Branthwaite, Gordon, Ellis Sims, various others, and departures are on the 23 level, effectively what happens is that everything's just shifted up. And we've gone from a situation where... Nathan Broadhead, for example, is now training with the first team week in, week out. Ryan Astley has done the same and and a few others. They're on the bench in most cases for the first team, need must. Below them then, because Broadhead's on the bench, he's not always playing under 23 minutes and that opens the door to a young striker from the under-18s and and so on and so forth. So I kind of, in in the piece, I highlighted Tyler Onyango and I highlighted Isaac Price. And Tyler Nyango is has been on the first team bench. He's only eighteen, turned turned eighteen very recently. He's one to watch, and I think potentially part of the the, the short term solution with regards to Ducore because he's he's big, he's mobile, he moves the ball forward, and, and likes to likes to kind of barge forward, surge forward at pace. But then below him, you've got Isaac Price, a seventeen year old midfielder who's now playing week in week out in the under twenty threes, and he's tipped as one to watch. For, for the first team in, in the future. So uh, I think the pathway is clearer and I think we have to give credit to Marcel Brands for that, David Unsworth, John Ebrill, But I think we also have to acknowledge as well that part of this is situational. It's the fact that Everton have just had so many injuries, as we, we said this season, that some of these lads would would have to step up at some point. I actually, I, I would quite like if, if if they continue down this path and they they continue to pick up injuries this season, which they probably will, let's be honest, given the amount of games being played. But I'd quite like to see some of those lads get more of an opportunity. I'd like to see go from the bench try to push Everton on in midfield. I'd like to see Nathan Broadhead, who's, I think, seven goals in five under-23 games since moving up front. I'd like to see Nathan Broadhead maybe get an opportunity off the bench too, if Everton are chasing a game. And maybe there's a little bit of reluctance from Ancelotti that, I mean, Everton are still in the Champions League race. They um, they don't want to blood youngsters in important games, but it might actually get to a needs must.
2: Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
2: too many of those kids play at any time soon because as you say I think there is just a general reluctance from Ancelotti um, to use them in games I I don't don't think he's a massive advocate of blood and young players but for the sake of their development I think he's very pragmatic
1: No he'll only do it I think if he believes that they are first team quality players let's not forget some of the lads we mentioned there Broadhead's 22 but he's out of contract at the end of the 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 season it's still uncertain that he remains at Everton I'd, I'd argue he'd have been offered a contract before now if they were really, really keen on keeping him. Um, and Yango is a different case. He's 18, not been with yeah. the 23s for long. And he's there because of the the injuries in midfield. I think it, I think the door's slightly open for somebody like him, just because of how short they are in midfield. Broadhead, it's a little bit more difficult because he needs to get around Josh King as well. And yeah. I think we probably hope to see Josh more of Josh King in the coming weeks. I, I enjoyed his cameo off the... Uh, off the bench at, at Stamford Bridge, so you, you probably hope to see slightly more of him. Um, but you're right in the main; it, it's very much a case of I think of Ancelotti being pragmatic and looking at the 18 or 19 players. And if you, you look at substitutes, it's only 14 players that are going to get the result for him in one specific game. And because Everton is still in it in the in the hunt for the Champions League and for the Europa League, it's unlikely we see too many of those lads actually step off the bench and uh, and onto the pitch. On Yango, maybe. On Yango, maybe. Maybe Broadhead if if they suffer an injury to to a King or a Richarlison. Let's hope they don't. But it, it's better. It is definitely better acro- across the club, I'd say, and the pathway looks clearer.
2: Definitely. Um, and, you know, it, it's probably a victim of it not being so clear in the past, or maybe just ultimately not being what was required. Uh, was Fraser Hornby, a young man who I did a chat with, yeah. uh, who's now at Aberdeen on loan. Uh, he has, he is a player of Stadrem in Ligue 1 in France. Uh, really interesting lad. Spoke to him uh, for a piece on the site last week. Just about, you know, he spent a long time at Everton. Um, a lot of his development from the age of 13, 14 upwards. Uh, six foot four and a half, I think he is. So he's, he's Duncan Ferguson-esque in height. And was on the fringe, very briefly, perhaps, of the first team under Sam Allardyce. Didn't work out, but I think he, he what I found interesting about him was his willingness to just go anywhere. He went on loan to Belgium, obviously joined Stad Rem. And now he's, uh, well, he, he's searching first-team football up in the Pittardry, although he suffered a bad injury, which means that's not going to happen anytime soon. But um, he was one who was, at one point, quite highly rated, wasn't he?
1: Well, particularly under, you mentioned this in your piece, particularly under Sam Allardyce. That was the period where he was closest, I think, to uh, getting getting into the, the Everton first team, yeah. training every every day with those guys. And then he did... Play in that um the final dead rubber in the europa league against apollon Limassol when allardyce didn't actually go over to cyprus himself <laughs> He uh, he said craig shakespeare and i think it was duncan ferguson um broadhead played anthony gordon actually made his everton debut as a 16 year old i don't know if you remember greg he came onto the pitch with kind of his, his shaggy hair and um he had his next boxing shorts hanging out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just looking back at it now, absolutely hilarious. But um he was he was part of that team hornby and actually showed up well, I thought on the night in a in what was a convincing Everton win, their only win in that in that group stage. Um it could have gone slightly different for him, I think, if if Allardyce had remained. Um but that kind of sounded the death knell a little bit, I think, to his hopes of making it at Everton and obviously the fact that he's had Richarlison, Calvert-Lew and various other players in front of him, hasn't helped. Um, I, I, I love the idea of these young players who don't quite make it at Everton going on to actually challenge themselves and do something different to just dropping down to Tranmere or um, Oxford United or whoever else it may be. This, this itinerant career where he goes to to Belgium and to to Scotland and all these kind of things, France testing himself in in new leagues and new cultures. I think that's great for somebody like Fraser Hornby. And I I, I always enjoy seeing English and Scottish players, in his case, going down that path. He also mentioned some very good Netflix shows. So just on that basis alone, read the article because he talks about looping. I don't know if you've you've actually got round to... To, to watching it yet but it is very good for, for anybody that hasn't hasn't yet kind of tuned in
2: i haven't yeah it's on my long list and it is a very long list but it's i know it
1: <laughs> comes highly
2: recommended from you and fraser and several others so yeah i'll be i'll be getting on that soon um the pieces that we mentioned just you know a couple from the last week or so on the site that you might be interested in getting involved in and in reading and you can subscribe to athletic for a special price of just £3.99 every month for six months. So that's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Uh, you get to enjoy you know, all the analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts across the network. Um, so you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. And that is theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. So, um we did We did say we discuss our efforts. No, I wish there were our efforts. Everton's efforts to, uh, to crack Colombia and, and move into the South American market. Um, that was Channel Partridge way into this, wasn't it? But <laughs> basically, Everton, since James Rodriguez, have become a big deal in, in that part of the world. And we did a piece on the site today, uh, I don't know if you caught it yet, uh, about how much effort has gone in behind the scenes to doing that. The raw material is signing James Rodriguez, but there's a lot going on, isn't there? Um, we spoke to former you know, expats who are out there who started the first Everton supporters club uh, and then the club and uh, some people on the on ground in, in Colombia and in Bogota who were just giving us some really interesting stuff
1: about how the club's taken off. Yeah, well, uh, continuing the the Partridge theme, obviously he has got a foot like a traction engine, so uh, <laughs> very very popular, very very good, very, popular. very good. As 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 we know, I, 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 it was staggering one one of the stats in in the piece that we kind of rooted out was that since his arrival, Everton's shirt sales are up. I said three thousand six hundred percent. That's just in, Rodriguez, yeah. just that's just Rodriguez in Colombia Colombia is now obviously into the top 10 for online shirt sales on the on the kind of the official site the official Everton site so they're making waves there they they've got a really engaged social media audience now on the Spanish language and and Portuguese language accounts for for Colombia and and Brazil respect respectively and I think it's just about trying to capitalize on that they're obviously Taking steps, uh, love the idea of the Bogota Blues, as the as the <laughs> as the, uh, the first supporters club is called. And that, that anecdote from the start, Greg, of, of the piece where Alex Swift, who, who was from Cheshire, a big Evertonian season ticket holder who founded Bogota Blues, running in the Andes. And you've got people on the side of the road recognising his Everton shirt and shouting, "We're all Evertonians now!" At him, um, it's just it, it's slightly surreal, of course, <laughs> slightly slightly surreal, slightly bizarre. Um, but the status of Everton has obviously risen exponentially since well, first Gary Mina arrived, but then also when James arrived over the um, over the summer. I guess now it's about capitalising on that. It's about yeah. turning those. Um, slightly bizarre non-official I'll call them non-official shirts um that you get from kind of local markets turning the people that buy them into kind of people that would buy from the official store mm. uh in one way or another um getting over there once COVID is is hopefully out of the way and doing a pre-season tour getting feet on the ground I think that's obviously very important as well if everything can get James Rodriguez over there Playing in preseason friendlies, you would just open up a pop-up, you? pop up, wouldn't you? in your pop up store, and you you you'd sell out instantly. Um, so I think I think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But I don't know about you. I, I felt as though progress had been made, and that uh, the club is kind of thinking quite critically about how they can tackle that market.
2: Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And I think there's def- that. Look, one of the challenges is is, is as, as was mentioned that you know Colombians tend to follow. James Rodriguez and or any of their other big national players and so they're they're more likely to kind of move on to whatever club Rodriguez is at but Everton as you say are critically thinking about well not just the short term but what happens if in a couple of years you know Rodriguez goes somewhere else to play out the twilight years of his career do we just lose all those new fans well Everton are looking at ways to make them what they said sustainable which includes getting them to buy into the club as well as the player and I think that's what I find it quite interesting. There's like a, a resonance in Colombian society. They really value family and um, society. And so the idea of the people's club, it quite, it, there's quite a, a you know, a, they relate quite strongly to that. So hopefully some of these new fans, not, I mean, we're not going to keep all of them, but hopefully some of them can become generational supporters or have Everton as their second team. So yeah, it's quite, it's quite exciting. Maybe we'll uh, we'll be joining the Boga toffees, trademark Oli, the producer, on tour one day.
1: Oh, I'd love that. I mean, the idea of Everton going on on a pre-season tour to South America, obviously, for for people like us is... uh, (laughs) I (laughs) stick it Which is the the only
2: reason they should do it, obviously, is just so me and you can have a a jolly in there.
1: Yeah, I that's an important thing here, as we we know. (laughs) It's a very complete self... kind of naked self-interest there, but obviously it would be something kind of important commercially for... For the club too, Um, I love this idea. Obviously, there's a law of diminishing returns as James winds down now in his career. He's what nearly thirty, so he he is probably at his peak. Just maybe, just starting to diminish, and and will do so over the next few years. Love the idea of him turning up at, rocking up at Grimsby Town, and then Grimsby Town becoming like a massive kind of hotbed for Colombian support and. Whichever club he goes to, <laughs> these supporters follow him around, and I, I think the point was made that it's it's a geographical thing. It's about because they're so far away from mainland Europe, they um, they don't associate with these clubs to the same extent. So they do follow players from the national team, as you've as you've pointed out, and that started with Yerry Mina, but obviously, James was the big difference maker, and there was that funny quote from the. One of the Colombian journalists we spoke to for the piece, we said, well, what do Everton need to do next? And the answer was sign more Colombians. So Marcel Brands knows what he's got to (laughs) do.
2: This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice,
2: Well, we we spoke about this before the trip to Stamford Bridge on Monday. We spoke about you know one of the toughest games at the moment in the Premier League, and it did it did turn out to be that um, taking absolutely nothing for granted. There's what feels like a more winnable fixture at Goodison on Saturday tea time, as mentioned earlier, and it's Burnley. Um, you know, if the, the, the games after that, Palace and Brighton, the three games that perhaps yield I don't know seven points. And all of a sudden um, Everton remain very firmly in in the mix, top four, don't they?
1: Yeah, I I think we've got to look at the Chelsea result in context. You can't view it in isolation and go, oh, Everton have lost and they've lost to a direct rival and that's it. They're still within touching distance of the top four. It just so happens that Chelsea are in very good vein of form, certainly since Thomas Tuchel took over the the right-up there with Manchester City for, for results in that period. So they were always going to come up against strong opposition. We have to take into account that at some point, the away run was going to end and it was more likely than not going to end given the respective squads that took to the field on on Monday evening. What I would say is Everton won the two games before that. They beat Southampton, they beat West Brom, the games you would probably expect them to win. So you're looking at that now as a run of six points from nine. If Everton beat Burnley, for example, on Saturday, that then becomes nine points from 12. And I would say that's still in this season, of all seasons, that's still Champions League form yeah. in the main. Yeah. You highlight there, there are games coming up against Palace and Brighton. Again, eminently winnable. Uh, I, do, I do approach some of these matches with a little bit of scepticism because while they are winnable and while they are games that Everton are more than good enough to to triumph in, they, they have been the ones that they've struggled yeah. into. So yeah. we, we've obviously we've we, we've it's well documented now that Everton struggle in possession. The more possession they have, seemingly the less potent they are, which is strange. Obviously, James is a big part of that, and he needs to be back on the pitch. And you would hope that things will improve when he, when he does return. Um, but Burnley aren't exactly going to come out all guns blaring and have sixty five percent of Goodison. We know that they're going to be solid, going to sit in two banks of four and effectively force Everton wide and look to cross the ball into the box. And then it becomes how good your delivery, how good is Calvert-Lewin at attacking the ball against Tarkovsky and and Ben Mee, which is obviously a very solid partnership. So yeah, I always approach these games with a little bit of trepidation, Mm. but it does represent another opportunity. If they beat Burnley, that's nine points from 12, then they've got Brighton, then they've got Palace in the league after Manchester City in the cup. And things would look very rosy. If Everton win that match on Saturday, you'd, you'd be looking at that and saying that the Champions Champions League is still eminently doable, and they've got games that they can in which they can kind of gain further ground. So, I'd still be quite optimistic. I I, I like I said after the game on on Monday, I don't think it was the end of the world. Nobody likes to lose, but there were very specific circumstances here. Um, and as long as Everton win those other matches, then I don't think it, it, it has to be too much of an issue.
2: I, I would tend to agree with you, but with the, you know just to emphasise the caveat that you've said there, that we do need to go and win those matches, and, and really Burnley, uh, I was serious, but not underestimating the, the, the scalar challenge. It's obviously very different from Chelsea, but they're the type of team, like you said, that we've slipped up against recently at Goodison, so the onus is on Everton. who just got over the line at West Brom, did the job uh, eventually in, in the fixture prior to that, but need to find a way. And, and you're right, Burnley are kind of almost like the the best example of that sort of team who are you know equipped to come and be very very defensive resolute. The good thing is, we will defend crosses into our box all day. So. I would like to hope that we can deal with them as an attacking force. And that's why it's going to be so important that Mr. Rodriguez is fit, isn't it? So we might have that bit of magic to unlock.
1: I just think Everton at the moment are better at battering down the door than they are at picking the lock stealthily. <laughs> there's no artistry really without James. Sometimes Sigurdsson or Dean will deliver a fantastic cross and that there's something to be said for that style of play, of course. But often I look at this and go, how are Everton going to score if it's not going to come from a cross? Certainly without James, that's been my question mark. What I loved in the early part of the season, particularly when you look at the goals against West Brom and Brighton, was the extent to which there was interplay. And you had James lofting the ball over the defence for James to James. James. He is good, but he's not that good. James (laughs) lofting the ball over the defence for Richarlison to square and Calvert-Lewin to finish. Or um, against Brighton, Ducore and Iwobi went on some surging runs and cut the ball back. We've not really seen any of that in recent weeks and months, which has meant that it's been harder to break down the opposition. And I think sometimes Everton just do need to vary things up a bit more. It can't always be cross, 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 cross. They're effective in that route. But as we saw against West Ham and other sides, teams can defend that. So it then becomes, what else have you got? And I still think that's where Everton come a little bit short when not isn't, isn't available.
2: Yeah, I tend, I tend to agree with you. So let's hope that we can get through that fixture and, and, and get the sort of uh, momentum straight back because uh, the alternative, not not getting the win at home, I think would be would be worrying, really. Uh, we're just beginning to build a real head of steam. So fingers crossed. And like you say, again, we need Rodriguez fit. So um, don't forget to check out the site next week. Paddy will have a piece of analysis from the game on Saturday. And there's plenty more coming up on the website including a piece that we've just finished today about Guilfi Sigurdsson I think which we uh, were both pretty pleased with in the end so look out for that thank you very much for listening and we'll be back on Glad Tidings next week
1: Athletic.